Felipe Machado here and welcome to the very first episode of Teacher Room Talk. My guest today is Bruno Albuquerque. He's been in ELT for seven years with experience in teaching students of all ages and most proficiency levels. Board member of Brasil Brasilia and a constant presenter in ELT conferences in Brazil, he holds a CELTA, a CAE and ECP. Highly interested in CPD teacher training and methodology, we have him here today to talk about reward systems. After all, what is the outcome we can expect from them and are they something positive or something negative? So without further ado, let's get to the show. So Bruno, welcome to the show. Thank you, Felipe. Thank you for inviting me. All right. So uh, the reason why I decided to invite you to be on the show here today It's because uh, I actually attended something you presented in July in the last Southern Cone event. And the name of your talk was Motivation, Carrot and Whip. Uh, where'd you get the name from? Uh, the name comes from uh, that, that, that line that says carrot and stick, in which you would, you would tie uh, a piece of carrot to a stick and you would guide a donkey to, to where you, you want it to go using the stick and the carrot and I, I chose to change the, the the stick for whip as in a way of punishing or and the carrot would be a symbol of rewarding students and trying to to get them motivated through reward or through punishment and uh what motivated you to actually talk about students uh behavior and punishment and also this uh, analogy that you made. <laughs> That's interesting, right? What motivated me to talk about motivation? Um, actually, uh, I, I've been, okay. I, I attended a webinar from Vinicius Nobri a long time ago talking about motivation and reward systems. And, and that's, that, that was the first time I, I actually got to think about the topic because um, at, at the school I work for, these these behavior charts in which you, you award students with stars or uh, with happy faces every time they do something right or they do the homework or they don't uh, speak Portuguese in class, it's quite common. We've got some of these hanged to the walls or, or, or in our cabinets, and sometimes we even get them as um, beginning of the semester material. So we're sort of encouraged to use this material. And I never really got to, to think about it and wonder if they're effective or not. I just, you know, as part of standard material, just hang them on the wall and use them just like we, I don't know, just like an attendance list. You, you, you never think about the impact of an attendance list in your class, right? You just, you just use it because that's, that, that's standard MO. And then uh, Vinny questioned the effectiveness of extrinsic rewards And, and these methods of uh, controlling student behavior in class. And then I saw this article online, which was shared by one of my coordinators. It was called um, uh, Tear Off Your Behavior Chart. And, and, and I guess that, that was uh, my main motivation because in, in the text, the, the author talks about the effects of a behavior chart in class. And, and how appealing it is for teachers to use them because um, wh whenever you, you add a behavior chart or any behavioristic method of uh, control 
to to your students the impact is instantaneous like uh, it, it seems to work like magic so students start doing homework uh they, they try not speaking portuguese in class and that seems that that, that seems to work for 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 a couple of i don't know maybe maybe a class or two or maybe weeks and it seems fine and then um teachers never really think about it and never wonder what the the consequences like what deep consequences it might have in in, in a child's self-esteem and feeling of um say self-efficacy and and, and the buzzword we got we got to use the buzzwords right that attracts attention like uh that there's no critical thinking in behavior charts right oh right and, and uh you have just mentioned uh extrinsic uh rewards as a means to to reach uh extrinsic motivation uh would you would you like to comment a little bit more on that uh, sure it's uh whenever people talk about motivation it's it's common to mention extrinsic motivation and intrinsic motivation, right? Uh, as in intrinsic motivation is that uh, intrinsic motivation is that motivation that students, that not, not only students, but that, that people have in themselves to act, right? That feeling that they have to, to, to change their state of inertia and go outside and do something. And extrinsic motivation would be Everything that comes from the outside, um, say uh, money, a, a prize, a reward, or I don't know, a coach shouting in your ear, go, go, try it once again, try it once more. And everything that would motivate the person from the outside to the inside. And according to one of the articles, like I believe we can share all these articles after after the podcast, right? Absolutely. According to some of the articles I read, and 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 some of uh, some, I'm going to suggest that book by the end of uh, of this podcast too. Um, I believe that motivation is only what you have inside. There, there's no such a thing as extrinsic motivation, um, because to me, motivation is much more than. Uh, go there and do it. I think that's that that's too weak. You know, you, you can't say that uh, by giving chocolate to someone, you motivate the person to chase their dreams. It's it, it's it's not enough. And then um, this this author um, Mario Sergio Cortella, he he says that motivation is what you have inside, and everything from the outside, which would be named under the label of extrinsic motivation would just be stimulation. So we can stimulate people, but to stimulate a behavior, to stimulate people to go uh, and do something you'd expect them to do, they have to have that motivation in them so you can nurture that. As in, you can't create motivation in a person by uh, offering a prize or by telling the person that the person will be punished if they don't do what you're expecting them to do. You're just stimulating the person. That's not real motivation, you know? Mm -hmm. I get it. Uh, and you have also just mentioned a, a, a while back here, you, you have mentioned uh, critical thinking. So how would you say that working with reward systems or a more behavioristic approach for that matter, even if it is only for the case of, of discipline or some uh, procedures that you want to make sure your students 
actually uh, follow. So how would you say that that may hinder uh, critical thinking in the classroom? Um, the fact that uh, this is, uh, and then uh, there's another, another author called uh, Daniel Pink, that he says that whenever you, you employ a behavioristic method of uh, controlling students' behavior and, and coercing students into doing what you want them to do, you're not giving students the chance of understanding why they're doing what they're doing. So they're doing what you ask them to because they'll get a reward or they will avoid being punished, right? And whenever I say punishment, I don't, um, I don't mean like physical punishment. Like we, we, we don't hit students anymore, right? We, I mean, I never did, but in the past it was common practice, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. um, but um, I, I believe we've, we've gone beyond physical punishment that hurts when happen when it happens and, and when we've gone to a much more sensitive area as in social punishment and, and psychological punishment uh, during my talk I show this this chart in which there are say 14 uh, 14 avatars of six or seven year old kids and, and next to these avatars you can see points. And then there are kids with 20 points, 23 points, 18, 17 points, uh, the kids who are doing really well, and kids with very low scores, kids with two points, kids with one point. And whenever I, manage pun uh, I, I, I mention punishment, that's the idea. It's uh, by projecting this and having this uh, shown to, to the whole group of kids, you, you end up so you end up punishing the kids with low scores psychologically, as in um, you might even change the kids in their voice from uh, a kid who was a learner capable of doing things when she started the course to the bad kid, the kid who doesn't behave, the kid who doesn't do homework, the kid who doesn't score eight on the test. And then it, it might change her view, uh, th th this kid's view of themselves, of, of themselves in the world, from uh, a kid who was once capable of learning to a kid who's hopeless, and well, and if this 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 friend of mine, this classmate of mine, never gets stars, never never gets points, so she's she's back there with two 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 points where. Uh, whereas everyone else in the classroom is with 18 or 17 points, uh, I don't want to be pairs with that kid because if I'm, if I'm doing pair work with her, I might lose my stars. And if, if we don't, if we don't work together in class, which is most of school time happens in class, uh, what are the odds that this kid will have company in playtime and in playground? And then, uh, we end up punishing this kid socially as in no one's going to 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 want to be around that kid and then um go, going back to, to to critical thinking is that when you reward kids or when you tell them that they might avoid punishment through doing what you tell them to do they don't really think about why they're doing what they're doing they're excellent sheep uh, as daniel pink points out is that kids who know how to play the game school but they don't actually know why they're doing what they're doing. So you, you don't teach this, these kids uh, 
self-regulation. You don't teach them self-control. These kids are only learning other regulation and other control. And then when, when this kid faces it... In your talk, you actually mentioned uh, some systems like uh, Classroom Dojo, for instance. Yes, yes. So it would be the game of, of scoring more points in Classroom Dojo mm -hmm. uh, instead of actually uh, playing the game of, of being a good... Uh, a teammate, a good uh, classmate, yes, uh, exactly. somebody that you can actually count on in, in certain mm -hmm. situations. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, you, you're doing what you're doing to get points. So uh, th this this might foster a very short, uh, uh, short-sighted mindset, as in um, I'm doing this because I'm getting something right after that, or I'm doing this in order to avoid immediate punishment from my teacher or from my peers. So uh, the kids don't really understand why they're doing what they're doing. And they, uh, and they're not, for example, they're not respecting each other because, well, we should respect other people, but because they're getting stars. And as long as they're getting stars, we, we, we all get it that they're doing the right thing because they're getting stars. So how come can that be yes. anything bad yes. at all? Yeah. Right. Uh, but then, Uh, according to, to this study from, uh, from Daniel Pink, he mentions a, a couple of side effects for the kids that happens when, when, you, uh, when, you, when you introduce an extrinsic method of behavior control in class and rewards and punishment. Um, to say some off the top of my head, it will squash students' creativity in which it, it will make, uh, it, it will get students to do what you're telling them to do the way you're telling them to do just to get the reward. It promotes cheating, for example, because I, I'm not doing my homework to review what we studied last class. I'm doing my homework to show it to the teacher so he can get me a star. So I might as well just copy from my friends. I don't really need to do it. I just need it done. It can become habit for me, as in, might have seen, uh, I hope you haven't, But I've seen in some of my classes, and then you realize that the teacher uh, who, who was teaching the group in, in the term before used to use such such method of, of control in which students play a game and they win the game. And they, and they go, teacher, what did we get? As in they're expecting you to give them uh, a, a piece of chocolate because they won at, I don't know, filling the gaps, right? And yes. and then um, I also mentioned this study by Leper, and uh, I think it's 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 very useful to to illustrate this idea of, of how dangerous these rewards can be. Leper got together a group of 51 kids, and the only prerequisite for the kid to participate in the study was that the kid really uh, the kid needed to to to, to tell the, the the researchers that. They really enjoyed drawing. So all the kids in the study really, really enjoyed drawing. And then these kids, these 51 kids, were divided into three groups. The first group was told beforehand about a reward and were asked to draw a picture, to draw something, whatever they wanted. The second group was not told about a reward, but got a surprise reward at the end. And the third group, a control group, did not get any reward, right? And then after the study was repeated a couple of times with the same kids, they realized that 
the drawings made by the first group, the group who was told beforehand about the reward, and the second group, the group who got a surprise reward at the end, but then they always got the reward, so they kind of, you know, they understood that they were doing that for the reward. The drawings were done much faster and much less creatively, much less detail, and they realized that the kids were not drawing for the sake of drawing. They were drawing just to get the task out of the way so they could get the, the reward. And then by the end of the study, what, 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 this is uh, mind-blowing in my opinion, uh, the kids who got rewards, they said by the end of the, the, the research that they didn't enjoy drawing anymore. So kids who entered the study saying that they loved drawing got to the end of it not enjoying drawing anymore because of the rewards. I know that a study with 51 kids is not, um, it's not a huge number. You can, we cannot draw conclusions out of it. But it might be an indication that by giving rewards to students, we're actually killing their inner motivation, their intrinsic motivation towards learning in general. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it seems it seems a little crazy, and and I always uh, I remember that when you said that, uh, I thought about this that I'm thinking about it again now, which is uh, what kind of adults are we going to have uh, if we actually foster and we keep on uh, you know having this kind of behavior in class, which is uh, what about an adult who will only do what's right, either to avoid punishment. Or as long as uh, he or she gets something in return, uh, what kind of uh, what level of frustration will this adult have to deal with once uh, he or she realizes that no, it's not so clear cut. It's not just because you're doing something right that you're gonna get something in return uh, automatically. So mm -hmm. basically, like like you said, it's very short sighted, and uh, we we are passing it on. And actually, we are teaching that this is the the way to go about things, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is, uh, it's it's very harmful in my opinion. Very very harmful. Um, I, I I don't mean I don't mean to be uh, a moralist and say that I do this all the time, but uh, we can see the effects on us adults when punishment is, is part of a mechanic. Um, for example, say you're driving on on uh, in, in your city, and then there is a speed trap and you're supposed to be driving at 80 kilometers per hour, like most people, at least most people I know, I cannot say for, uh, I can't, can't, can't speak in the name of others, but most people I know would drive above the speed limit, brake when the speed trap is near, go through the speed trap, and accelerate again. Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, we're, <laughs> we're, not, we're not driving within the speed limit because we know it's right. We're driving within the speed limit for those 25 meters Absolutely. because someone is watching us. Exactly. So and they can punish us if we go if we go across. It's not it's not because we we know that uh, it is the right thing. And, and honestly, uh, there is science behind it, right? Uh, people just don't go. Uh, they they don't they, they don't. It's not like they sit uh, and say, you know, I, I think this should be 50. You know, it should be, the, the speed limit should be 50 because reasons. No, there's science behind it. Yes, but we choose to ignore it. the science. That we, we just choose <laughs> to ignore it 
and then we choose mm. to do whatever the hell we want. But mind you, yeah. we gotta avoid punishment. Yeah, and, and, and it's uh, I think it's it's insane because uh, the punishment that the speed trap is trying to avoid is death. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. So <laughs> the speed trap is right there. So you don't kill yourself and you don't kill others. So, But we are really worried about the fine and that's it. So, uh, Bruno, come come to think of it then, uh, a lot of teachers, they actually resort to this and, and they, they consider, uh, you know, behavior charts and other behavioristic manners of trying to control uh, the classroom and what have you, because they they either fear to lose control or they have lost control before. So uh, according to, to uh, your, your experience and also according to the talk that you presented, what would be a, a more uh, critical thinking like way to, to work with kids, but, but still maintain a certain level of discipline, which is desired? Okay. Um... Well, on that topic, um, I started researching, okay, so if we cannot go uh, with behavior charts and giving students pencils and erasers or, 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 or candy when they do the right thing, what can we do, right? Uh, and then uh, Scott Thornbury in uh, A2Z of VLT, he talks about motivation, and he says that there are mainly two kinds of intrinsic motivation, which are instrumental motivation, is that motivation that usually adult students or or late teen students have it's when they're studying english to pass an exam or to to, to get a good score on ielts or um, or tofu or to get a job and then there is integrative motivation which is the motivation that a student of esl of english as a second language has when they go to another country and they want to become part of the community And then Thornbury finishes the, 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 his, his, uh, his section of motivation there. And it was like, okay, so that covers 10% of my students, right? <laughs> like 90% of my students, they're not in an English-speaking country and they're not studying English to pass an exam or to get a, a, a job or to pass a job interview. Uh, they're studying English because their parents told them to. Like most of my students are teenagers or, 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 or young kids, like six, seven-year-old kids. And then, okay, so how would we motivate these kids? Um, I found from, uh, from articles that we're, we're going to share afterwards that there are a couple of ways to, to motivate students or, or to nurture better, uh, to nurture their intrinsic motivation. And what I can say is that it's much more, let's say, time-consuming, but worth it than a behavior chart, right? So um, I, I hope I, I've made it clear by now that behavior charts and rewards and punishment are very demotivating and harmful for kids, psychological, psychologically speaking. And, well... Uh, first of all, I'd say numbers numbers one, two, and three. I've got together ten, uh, ten ways to, to nurture motivation. Uh, one, two, three would be eliminate charts, eliminate punishments, and no rewards. Right? Those would be top three. So put them aside. Don't use them. 
as to what can you do instead, uh, I think stating the purpose of activities for teenagers can be very motivating. Uh, sometimes I find myself doing this activity and I know what's the goal. I know that uh, students will be learning, say, communication strategies of repair and negotiation of meaning. So this is why they're doing this. But sometimes students don't see the point and they, uh, th th this can be quite demotivating. So I'm just, I'm just talking to my friends. Is that it? And then maybe uh, stating the purpose. So why they're doing that? So um, you're going to be doing this activity in groups because while you talk and discuss, you will have to adapt your language to make sure your friend has understood what you, what you said and he will have to do the same. And then they go, ah, okay. So this is why we're doing this. Um, also, uh, nurturing a growth mindset. This comes from that book uh, called Mindset from Carol, from Carol Dweck, in which it says that a growth mindset is a person who believes that they can progress, that they can develop their skills. Uh, some students, they have this idea that, God, it's horrible even to say, but some students believe they're dumb and they believe that they are incapable of doing, of, of learning English. And then uh, finding ways of showing students that there is progress over time. I believe it's very, very important. Allowing retrials. So uh, when students make mistakes, when they fail at a task, or when they don't ace a task, give them feedback, but don't send them home. Like it's very common for, for feedback to be the last, uh, the, the last moment of the class and then uh, students do this uh, free free activity by the end of the lesson and then teacher sits down gives them feedback on what they did right what they did wrong okay that's the homework go home I, I believe it's very important to tell students what they did right which sometimes we forget we tend to focus on mistakes and tell them what they did wrong and then tell them to do it again like okay so you've got these tips this is what you did right this is what you did wrong do more of the right thing and try avoiding the wrong thing, go. Maybe change the pairs, uh, change the context, or don't change anything at all. Just let them do it again and tell them to do it faster. Okay, so last time you had five minutes, this time you have to do the same task in three minutes, go, right? So this uh, gamification thing also also adds to, to motivation. Um, well, and, and I think like um, my, 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 my number 10, that, that's my, my top one tip would be to try and develop a relationship with the student. So this might sound very cliche, but being a teacher is a very human activity. It's a very human, humanistic profession. So I believe that once you've got that report going and once you've got that feeling of we're a team and we're in this together. We're here to help each other. We're here to learn. We're not here to mock. Um, we're here to, 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 to improve as a, a micro community. I think you, I mean, there, there's no limits to a group that gets this mindset. It's just um, whenever kids feel like misbehaving or they misbehave, uh, not 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 on purpose, like accidentally, they will they will feel 
they're doing something wrong because they don't want to harm this relationship that they've created with their group and their teacher. So um, I believe that if you take, say, two minutes of every class or, or three minutes of every class to sit down and talk freely to the students, it can be at the uh, by, by uh, when you start the class or by the end of the lesson, just sit down and talk to the kids. Like, how was your day? Tell me about your week. Um, how's it going? And, 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 a, and a real uh, genuine question of, of what, did, what, what did you do on your weekend? And not just, okay, tell me what you did on your weekend so I can use it as a springboard for the lesson, right? <laughs> like active listening, I think, I think goes, goes a long way. Yeah, like, like doing like you mean it, right? Yeah. Doing like you mean it, right? Yeah, not, okay, use the simple past so I can write it on the board. <laughs> yeah no but which which uh i would dare say that unfortunately might be the most common use of uh tell me about your weekend right well well bruno it's been great thank you for for uh for sharing well, what you're finding so far but now on to our last segment of the show check it out Okay. Um, well, for check it out, I've got to suggest something uh, I've watched or I've read that not that's not necessarily connected to the topic, right? Um, I've got this this book from Mario Sergio Cortella. I, I mentioned Mario Sergio Cortella in my talk, but uh, th this book is not about motivation. Uh, it's called uh, "Não Nascemos Prontos," which stands for uh, "We're Not Born Ready" uh, in English. It's a book of philosophical thoughts and questions and uh, it, it's got this very interesting chapter in which he says that uh, we don't grow old we grow new as in objects they grow old because objects are born ready so say your iphone leaves the factory as a ready product and it ages with time And Cortella says that people are the opposite. They are born not ready and they'll be making themselves through time to the point that every year that goes by, you're your most, like you're your newest version, like your last edition ever to, to, to be released. And I find that, that that idea is very interesting and it, it goes together perfectly with Uh, this growth mindset thing and this idea that we're always improving and we're we're not getting old we're just getting better with time like wine all right beautiful beautiful i i like comparing people to wine <laughs> yeah. that, that, that makes it all far better absolutely so uh Bruno, for those for those who are listening uh, to us, where where can we uh, have more contact with your ideas? Uh, I know you have a, a profile that you share, uh, so let us know. Okay, um, I, I I usually make posts on Instagram. Uh, I'm thinking about going back to to recording some lives. I'm recording a live this Sunday about motivation with uh, Salinha de Jomas. 
my page is the LT Academy. You can follow that for some teaching tips. Uh, this week, we talked a lot about pronunciation and uh, voice sounds and voice sounds and consonants and vowels. Quite, quite interesting. Still don't know the topic of next week, though, but that's, 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 where you can, where, that's where you can find me for more uh, ELT stuff <laughs> online. All right. So, Bruno, thank you very much for being here. Uh, you, you, you know, you're our very first guest. So appreciate it very much. So thank you very much. And it's great. It's an honor. <laughs> thank you. And see you next time, mate. Thank you, Felipe. See ya. So that was the very first episode of Teacher Room Talk. Really appreciate you being here with us. If you liked it, spread the word, share it with your ELT community friend. And thank you very much for listening to us. If you want to keep in touch, any sort of feedback will be more than welcome. You can find us on Instagram, that's at Teacher Room Talk. See you next time. This is Felipe telling you to keep questioning. <laughs>